Hey everybody, we just wanted to let you know that we experienced some technical difficulties when recording this sermon. Towards the last half of the sermon, you will notice a few skips in the audio. However, because we believe the content is valuable and part of our current sermon series, we decided to go ahead and make it available for you. We hope that you will find both instruction and encouragement from this content. The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Happy Sunday, friends. Good to see all of you. I praise God for you. Uh, we don't have time to chit-chat. we got a lot of verses today, all right? So crack your Bibles open. Mark 3, we're going to start in verse 13, go all the way to the end of the chapter. We're in our series moving through uh, the book of Mark. It's called Servant King. And just so you know, I know some of you, you already have looked. It's 13 to 35. That's a lot of verses. You're like, man, is this guy crazy? Uh, you know, I think they teach in preacher school. You're not supposed to do that. And you're right. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Uh, even if we knock out a chapter every two weeks, uh, it's going to take us eight months to get through the book of Mark, okay? So I'm trying to stay on track, so I need you guys to help me today, all right? We've got a lot of verses to cover, so work with me on this, and let's, uh, let's see what God has for us. Amen? So I hope you turn to Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app to follow along, we will have the verses on the screens for you, okay? Mark 3, starting in verse 13, here we go. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. To them he gave, he gave the name Bonargers, which means sons of thunder. I hope I get a cool name like that from the Lord someday. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But he has finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my, bro who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
Praise God for his word. Amen. Now, it's, it's interesting. So we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, a kind of primary and secondary mega theme to this set of verses. And then there's, there's a hop-off that we're going to deal with at the end. So we're going to deal with the, the kind of consistent theme throughout this. And then just I'm going to tell you what the secondary one is so that you're not thinking about that the entire time I'm trying to drill home the mega theme. Okay? I know that this, these verses about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit have caused a lot of questions, and they are difficult. They are hard to understand, and it causes people to have a lot of questions. So we're going to deal with that. We're going to take that out and deal with it at the end. Okay? So we're going to, we'll deal with everything else that's here. We'll jump back to that, all right? Amen. So... Uh, when we go back up to the top here, we start out with basically Jesus calling the disciples to himself. It's real interesting as we get this list of his disciples. If you look all throughout the New Testament, and, and you can go and do this, and we see what all the New Testament says about these 12 disciples, we only know the occupation of six of them before they followed Jesus and five of the six, so, so that means six of these guys, disciples of Jesus, apostles, we don't even know what they were doing before they followed Jesus. Not a detail that seemed worth mentioning in all of the New Testament, okay? I think that's significant. But it's also interesting to me that five of the six that we do know their occupation were fishermen. That includes uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Philip. All fishermen. What does that say? I don't know, but I think it's interesting to think about. I think it's interesting of, of all the types of people groups and who you would think Jesus would grab as the 12 guys he's going to train to turn the world upside down with the gospel. Five of those guys were just blue-collar fisher dudes. I don't know. Okay. You didn't think that was as cool as I did. Let's see if we can find something else. Uh, the, the one other we know, so number six is Matthew, who was a tax collector. Okay, And I made, I made something of a to-do of this observation a couple weeks ago, but it, since, since we're back here again with a list of the disciples, I want, to, I want to even kind of firm this up even more. So we know that Matthew was a tax collector, which means he was, a, he was basically a, he was in cahoots with the Roman authorities. So tax collectors would kind of bid for a territory, and then they would have the Roman army backing them to basically be able to fleece their own people. It was well known that oftentimes they would overcharge, they were not liked by the rest of the people of, of Israel, the Jews at the time. Okay, so we got Matthew the tax collector, uh, Levi when he was called, he was given the name Matthew, basically working with the Romans and being a thief uh, of his own people. And then we have this other guy who we don't know his occupation, but we do know his, shall we say, political persuasion. We have Simon the Zealot. Okay, so we have a guy who's basically working with the Romans the big power structure of the time. And then we have Simon the Zealot also being called to be on Jesus' team. Now the Zealots, uh, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago when we covered this, I'll just tell you, the Zealots were a group of people who were very committed to overthrowing Rome. Uh, you know, th these were the guys, they would have had a sword on most of the time and ready to rumble, looking for a fight. And uh, they were not happy about Roman occupation. And if they had their way, uh, Messiah was going to come and they were going to lay waste to the Roman occupiers and restore the glory of Israel as a nation. That's what they thought Messiah was coming to do. Okay, so we got sympathizer with Rome, guy working for Rome, and we got a guy that wants to topple Rome all the way down in his bones. I want you, and I want you, says Jesus. Come be on my team. 
Interesting. Okay. Uh, and I think that's, if you don't understand yet how that speaks to our day, uh, <laughs> I'll keep working on it. But to me, it's pretty glaringly clear. Uh, I think that is pretty instructive for us. And in order to avoid the possibility of you dismissing this as well, okay, yeah, but that, you know, you had Jesus incarnate right there. So, you know, yeah, maybe that was possible then because, you know, Jesus was right there in the picture. I'm not sure that's really possible today. I, I want to take this from a a scriptural historical recording of what happened in terms of Jesus picking this team, bringing them together for the furthering of his mission. And I want to I show you that it still happens today because we happen to have our own Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot right here that are a part of this church. So if you two guys would come up here and help me preach real quick, just give them a hand as they're coming because it's really difficult to get in front of people. So clap for them. Amen. Test this for me so I don't make it. I already did, and it's no good. Do I need to do something, sir? Uh, it's green. What does that mean? Testing, testing, one, two. It's a no-go? All the way a no-go. Okay. Well, uh, we will do our best with our voices. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Um, I guess I'll put this back because it's no good. Yay, technology, right? All right. So here's the thing. We have... Simon the Zealot here, and we have Matthew the Tax Collector, and uh, we're just going to call him Matthew the Tax Collector because of the nature of his work and since we're on the internet, okay? So, uh, first thing I'd like to do is, will you tell us, Matthew the Tax Collector, what you do for a living? I'm a police officer for over 20 years who's investigated primarily narcotics and violence. Okay. Simon the Zealot, uh, before Christ, what did you do for a living? So I was in total opposition of his field. Um, I, I, I was a drug dealer. I was, I was involved in uh, crime. So I was in total opposition. Didn't you tell me the other day you were a pharmaceutical entrepreneur? <laughs> yes. That's, okay, well, all right. Okay, so I know it may be hard for you to hear because I don't have those guys mic'd. So Matthew, the tax collector, it was and is... Uh, Currently a police officer, deals primarily with narcotics cases. And Simon the Zealot here uh, was a, a pharmaceutical entrepreneur, um, a.k.a. a drug dealer, okay? And uh, this is before Christ, okay? So now that was what you guys kind of did for a living. So explain to me a little, give me a description of who you were spiritually before Christ. Well, spiritually before Christ, I think outwardly... Uh, I had, a, uh, I had adopted a veneer of uh, kind of cultural morality and, uh, you know, responsibility. Also, uh, thinking that good works would lead to righteousness mm. and treating, treating God as kind of like my own uh, genie, just kind of a moral, just kind of a tip of the cap to God. Yeah. But, um, so let me say that again for them. So basically, he was saying before Christ, he was very outwardly moral. And, and in most communities, you know, a police officer, they would see that as that being the case. Uh, it sounds like you're desc describing moral therapeutic deism, basically. Were you a moral therapeutic deist? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's what he was, man. So he was a moralist, and he was, you know, 
if he needed God, then it was cool for God to get in the picture. Is that about right? Yeah. Okay. Please. But the truth, truth of the matter was, is I, I really had a cold, dead heart that uh, fruit, and the fruit of that uh, was that I, I glorified love myself, and I didn't love God, uh, my wife, or my family in a, in a real uh, way. Mm. A cold, dead heart, which meant you loved yourself and not those around you. Okay. Sounds about right without Jesus. I should have brought some no cards. No, you don't need no cards. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the same way. It was, it was very similar. Um, we were just in two different fields, but um, I was all about me. It was all about self. Um, everything was, you know, chasing money, chasing self-glory. Um, it wasn't nothing else. If you would have asked me, I would have told you I was a Christian because my mother and father started off, you know, mm-hmm. in, our, in my youth as a Christian, but it, it boiled down to the, to the point that I was not following Christ. Um, I was only following Steve, I mean, you know, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> I was only following me. I was just doing what I wanted to do. Um, and that, that was it in a nutshell, man, until I, until I came to Christ, you know. Um, you couldn't have told me no different, but he did. Amen. So we have two, two guys who were self-described, dead in their heart, self-serving, on opposite ends. So in, so in our culture, do you guys, I'll let you guys answer this. Do you guys, do you think, does our culture think these two guys should be friends? Definitely not, right? Now, will you describe for me just kind of what, now after Christ, what you guys have discovered about even maybe your past intertwining and then what you guys now do together. Oh, okay, so... As loud as you kinda, can. Kind of like how we met. Like, yeah, right. When we figured out... Yes. We okay, so... Basically, we, we meet in, in group. We, we meet in a group setting. Um, and we become friends. This is, this, now, this is me in Christ. Um, and, and, and my brother in Christ, right? And so... What we end up doing, we end up doing a Friday night outreach together, and in the process of the Friday night outreach, we begin to talk in amongst each other, and we find out that the block that I was on at the same time, years before, where I was pharmaceutical entrepreneur, right? At the same time, he was the officer on the NARC team at that time. So this means that we would have been in passing each other. Because he was in the same field, on the same street. You know, that's what we found out about each other. So, that's, that's crazy. Mind when I heard that. You know, because I, I'm thinking of all the jump out teams, and the, you know, when they line us up on the wall and they pat us down, and this brother was probably in that team. You know what I mean? And we never even knew each other, met each other, said, you know, we didn't know. And so how God can bring both of us together years later. You know what I mean? And now we're working side by side and, and feeding folk and, and doing everything in the name of Jesus, like that just that just blew my mind. So that's I think that's what you were getting at right there. Yeah, because I assume when you were dancing around each other in that setting, uh, you probably had a different set of feelings about each other, especially not being Christians. Right. You probably felt much better than him as a morally superior, upstanding citizen, right? And you probably hated him for all of that. I felt better than. Yeah, you felt better than him. You, isn't that interesting? You're right. Yeah. I 
care, if you're, you be careful, I'm going to give you this microphone. You're going to finish this sermon, man. I'm telling you right now. We got Simon the Zealot and we got Matthew the tax collector. Our culture believes today largely and in many places they should hate each other and have nothing to do with each other, nothing to do with each other. But what I'm trying to show you is that the power of Christ to bring people together and be about one mission, people that would never have anything to do with each other and, and would stand on opposite sides and hate each other, the power of the gospel is still doing what it was doing for the original Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot. Can you give God glory for that? Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. And this, this, that idea, it, it kind of begins, it opens the door for us of this, this kind of mega theme that I I'm, I'm sh- want to show you here. The kind of supernatural units, hear my word, supernatural unity. That does, does, doesn't just happen. That's because of the power of God working in people's hearts. That, that kind of unity is so vitally important. Why am I saying that? Well, let me read 20 to 27 to you again. <clears throat> and he came home, and the crowds gathered again to such an extent that he could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went to take custody of him, and they were saying, he has lost his senses. So basically, his people, that's, that's Jesus' family, his folks, the people that know him well. And because he's getting to the point where he's doing so much ministry, he's not even taking time to eat, they're starting to think he's off his rocker, okay? Um, you know, I, I, I kind of hope somebody uh, accuses me of being a, a little too fanatical for the cause of Christ at some point along the way. Amen. Uh, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, okay? So this was an, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, that, this was an official delegation of, of big deal guys, okay? Extra pointy hat. Probably lots more stuff flowing off their robes. And they were, what they were doing was coming to authoritatively judge Jesus' ministry. This was the delegation from Jerusalem. And what they, were gonna, what they came and said about what Jesus was doing was kind of what everybody who was under their authority was supposed to now think about it. So this was, kind of, this was more official than it kind of makes it clear. Okay, So the scribes who came, and we know that because they came down from Jerusalem, kind of the seat of, of, of that authority. And, and uh, what did they say? They said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. So basically, we're talking about Satan, another name for Satan. And he called them to himself, and he begins speaking to them in parables. And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished He's finished. And see, Satan understands this principle as well as God does. That God has woven into his creative order a power in the unity of people. And that can work either for the good and for the cause of Christ and for the freeing of those who are enslaved into darkness, or it can work in the exact opposite direction as well. I'll give you an example. If you go back to Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel, you see basically, uh, you know, Noah and his family get off the boat. They begin to repopulate the earth. Doesn't take too long after a global flood to humble humanity. Within several generations, they're back to their old shenanigans, right? They're going to build a tower that stretches up to heaven. 
uh, they're not going to disperse and fill the earth like God said. We're all going to cluster together and we're going we're to show how mighty we are through building this tower. And what does God do? God says something really profound. He says, if, if we don't go down there and do something about this, they're going to accomplish everything they're putting their mind to. So God comes down, confuses their language, which inhibits the work. And, but, but the principle that we're drawing out of that is the power of unity. It can flow in either direction. So Satan is always going to try to interrupt and get in the way of the unity of God's people. Always. That's always going to be a primary tactic of the forces of darkness. He's going to try to disrupt unity in your home. He's going to try to disrupt unity in the local church. He's going to try to disrupt unity in the church globally. Oh, that's always at the front end of the tactics of, of the forces of darkness. You can count on it. And I would say that largely, sadly, so far in 2020 that tactic is, is working pretty effectively. And we need to be wise as serpents, understand what the tactics of the enemy are, but also gentle as doves. Let me, I want to read something to you. So I, I kind of, we have an example here from, from Jesus. You know, he's kind of talking, well, if Satan's divided against himself, he's finished. A, a, a house divided against itself can't stand. A kingdom divided against itself, it can't, Stand, okay? So we see that kind of in a negative light, but let me, I want to read you something, and I know I already read a ton of verses, but I'm going to ask you to seriously, whatever you have to do to not be distracted for the next, I don't know, 75 seconds, I want to read you what's known as the high priestly prayer. This is the longest prayer we have recorded from Jesus. This is one of the last prayers we have recorded before Judas and, and the band of people that come to arrest Jesus take him, okay? So this is very close to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is, Jesus is aware that he's coming down to the last moments of his time on earth, and this is the prayer that he prays. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that all of that background information leads you to really want to key into what is on the heart of our master right before he goes to the cross, you're about to get a glimpse into it. So if you've got to close your eyes, whatever you've got to do, hear these words. This is the prayer of your king. Okay? Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. 
I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the disciples around him, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. Do you understand that means Jesus here in John 17 is praying for you if you're a follower of Jesus today. This is his prayer for you. What is it? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see the tie-in between our willingness and our ability to live and walk in unity with one another? The reflection, what did, you, what did he say? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you understand that part of how we get the good news of the gospel to the world is by walking in love and unity with one another? The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. He's still praying. That they may be one, just as we are one. Are you picking up on a theme here? In the prayer of the master? That's the third time he said that. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That's the longest prayer we have from King Jesus the Merciful. Right before he goes to the cross. And in multiple different ways, over and over again, we see this theme coming up out of the heart of our master. That we would be in unity. And he ties it to our ability to fulfill this great and glorious mission that he's given us of sharing the good news of the gospel with the world. Part of what is going to catch the attention of the outside world is the fact that the people of God walk in a unity that supersedes what is people or talking to someone else about it or whatever, you know, the things that we find to do, which are tend to seem easier. Amen. Okay, so I, I, I assume you may have questions, and I, and I want to do my best to 
bring some answers to those. So you may be thinking, okay, I hear that. I care about it. I'm, I'm, I'm moved in my heart by the prayer of Jesus and how big of a deal this is and, and how he said so plainly. It, really, his response back to the Pharisees about him casting out demons by, by Satan, you know, it's, it's kind of like, a, are you serious? That, it's so foolish. A, a house divided against itself can't stand. What are you guys even saying, Right? Unity is so important, you ain't getting anything done without it. So you might be thinking, okay, well, how do I stand in this type of unity when when I disagree with other people in the church on who should be president in this country? How do I do that? Well, we should be able to do that because we should agree on who is king over all creation and reigns over a kingdom that is eternal. So we keep in perspective, yes, we live in the United States today, and it's an election year, and yes, that has an effect on things, and so we, we, we don't just not care about it, not pray about it, not participate and, and fulfill our duty as a citizen, yes, but we keep it in perspective that there's a king reigning over all of this, and ultimately, king's hearts are in the hands of the king. And he directs them as he will. How do I stand in this type of unity when I disagree with other people about how to solve the pain and injustice in our world? That, that can be a big point of contention. That can be very difficult to then find a way to, to come together. How do we do that? Well, we should be able to do that because we should agree that every pain and injustice and all the brokenness in this world is the result ultimately of our sinful rebellion against God. Do that. It's so hard. Is that hard? Will you be honest and say it's difficult? It is. How do we do that? We should be able to do it because we should see that the differences, people are so different. How do I walk in that kind of unity? The differences are often part of the perfect design of our perfect God. That his church would be a diverse people from different nations, tribes, and cultures. And that we would value those differences. As opposed to seeing them as a roadblock. And why? Why would we value them? Is that just, you know, hopeful kumbaya speech? No. Why? Because, how do we do it? We have to humbly acknowledge. Here's what we have to humbly acknowledge. It's going to take humility for us to say this. No one person or local church can emphasize addressing all the brokenness in our world. No, no, but no one person or local church can do that. But each of us can look at the time and place that God has put us. We can't emphasize everything, but we can exemplify his love and mercy and justice according to the needs that exist and the resources that he's entrusted to us. So what does that mean? If you individually or even we corporately as Love City Church, if we can't answer every problem and and issue of brokenness in the world as a result of sin, what does that mean we're going to need? Partners. We're going to need to walk in unity with others who have different sets of strengths and resources, who are willing to emphasize different... About at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the... Because we're family, even if we scrap or even if we got to tussle a little bit, we're coming through.
what does that really mean? Like you could try to pull some ideas from the context of what's going on, but he did it right now and that's why he's saying this. He doesn't say that. So we're not real sure. Pharisees committed and it's not something we can do. And what, this, is a, this is a right now possibility, not just a at the end possibility. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26, which is right after verse 25, which talks about gathering consistently with the saints. We're not going to get on that. But this is verse 26. It says, but those who continue sinning willfully after having received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer left a sacrifice for their sins, but a terrible expectation of judgment and the fire that consumes the adversaries. I don't know. Throw that in your theological framework, Hopper, and have fun. I'm not here to debate all that. I'm just saying that's what the word says. Okay, so, and, and, and we've also got this idea of Jesus talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You can also go to Hebrews 6 where it talks about those who have tasted and seen and, and understood the goodness of God and then turn away. That there's, there's this, point, this point of hardening where they, just, they won't turn back. And so it seems, that <clears throat> it seems that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is less about, it's not a, a certain sin or certain words that you could say that would qualify it's a hardness of heart that makes it impossible for you to repent. Now, that is still not as comforting as option one, which is don't worry about it. This isn't a sin that you can commit, right? And I get that, but let's just talk about it a little bit more because I, I think ultimately it's better for us <clears throat> to see it accurately, of course, but even in practicality. So in trying to describe this, I, I, I saw someone... Had, had painted a, a word picture, and I thought it was really, really helpful. So they said, basically, the, the, as they're describing this idea of, of, of rejecting the Holy Spirit to such a degree, and, 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 that, and you might say, well, that doesn't really line up with what, what Jesus is doing, but if Jesus is not just warning from God to come and to partake in the gift of repentance. <clears throat> and what I want to say to you today is this, because I realize I'm leaving open, which... Many preachers throughout time have, have sought to not do. They don't want to leave people with the possibility that they may have committed the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because what does that do to someone like spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally? Like, and, and as a shepherd, I feel that. I don't want to put you in that position. But, but, but the, we, can, we can take this for what it, it is saying but also come to this conclusion that if that's what Jesus is talking about, that if, if you are still convicted today, if you care at all, then it is not too late. If you're asking the question and w- with any amount of care, with, 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 any, with, any, with any wonder or, or holy fear behind it, then, then friend, it's, then, then that's not you because your heart has not hardened to the point where you just don't care anymore, where you are unwilling and unable to return and to partake in that great gift of repentance. So if you're asking this question, then that's probably not you. <laughs> If somebody has gotten to this point, they're not asking that question. They don't care. They're only going to have continued vitriol and and venom to spit towards God and his character. What that also means is that if you're here today and and you know that you've you've walked away from your first love, that you know you're cold in your heart, but today, right now, under the preaching and the teaching of God's word, if you feel even a flicker of warmth to respond, then don't delay. Then don't sit on that chunk of ice any longer, gorging yourself upon death, thinking, well, I can, I can change, I can do it tomorrow, I can repent tomorrow. Friend, maybe not. 
God's grace is not something to be trifled with. It's not a game to be played. It is a gift to be received. And the glory in all of this is that he's, it, it's, it's, not that, it's not that God is anxiously waiting for someone to go over those falls. Ha, got another one. No, 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 no. What does he say? What does he say? What does Peter say? He's not slow as some count slowness. He's patient, willing that none should perish. This is the God we're dealing with. He's for you. He's with you. He's, he's rooting for you to come. And to receive yet again, to drink deep of that fountain of life, that water of life, to not have to thirst again, not have that thirst that drives you to all those, those other little puddles and those nasty toxic wells that you drink out of trying to find joy. C.S. Lewis said something to the effect of that, that human history is just the sad story of people trying to find joy in something other than God. Man, that's true. It's true. And so, if this warning applies to you today, then heed the warning. But don't, but don't let Satan come behind that and turn that into a condemnation. If you still care today, if it still brings a, a holy and reverent fear to your heart to even think about reaching this place where repentance is not possible, then friend, you haven't reached it. But turn to him today. Waste not another minute. Come and, and receive that gift of repentance and rejoin or join for the first time those who have been bound together by the blood of Christ for a mission far greater than themselves. Join up with Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot and realize that whatever, wakes you, whatever makes you weird or whatever makes you think you, you couldn't possibly fit into this thing, we've seen it. You don't have a brand of weird that's going to Scare the church. Some of your weird might be what makes us even more beautiful. And I'm not just talking about this church. If, if you're listening online or, or, or you're just here visiting, I'm, I'm not, that's, this isn't a, a push for church membership in, in a local sense. I'm just talking about being a part of the body of Christ broadly. Now, if you don't have a church, this is a great one. Come be here. It's, it's awesome. Really cool people here. And weird people here. You'll fit super well. <laughs> but, but the last thing I want to say to you is, when, when people read these verses, particularly 28 through 30, and, and the, what jumps off the page at us is that Jesus says, those that commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it, it's an eternal sin. It will not be forgiven in this age or the next. That is almost without fail what people focus on. But friends, can I point something else out to you that, that maybe, maybe deserves even more of our attention? 28, truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. What? All sins. Now I realize that seems to be creating somewhat of a conflict with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but that's because basically any sin that you repent of can be forgiven. Do you, do you stand as amazed today about that simple fact as you were the first time you heard it? 
When, when, it really, when the understanding really gripped your heart that however wicked you've been, whatever blasphemies you've uttered, whatever grievous sins you've committed, that God's grace was for you. That's, that's the real big point here. That's what we go and shout from the rooftops. That's the message we take to the world. And you know what? Also in Matthew 12, uh, when this, this same account, <clears throat> Jesus he gets more specific. He says, you can blaspheme against the Father, you can blaspheme against the, the Son of Man, but if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it's unforgivable. And, and this, that whole idea of Jesus saying that, I think it, it helps us and ties back into, as I send you out of this, this safe bubble of, of, of the presence of God and the presence of the church and the teaching of the Word of God, and we're all nodding together and we're in agreement, and we're in beautiful unity, and then we're going to walk out there. And we, get, and we got to do this for real. <clears throat> okay? Think about this. You have Father God, creator of all, and, and, and the Son of Man, that being Jesus, our, our, our Savior King. What, did, what does he say? He said, you can be forgiven of a blasphemy against Father God or even me, the Savior King. Remembering that, that he's willing to forgive that, that he, they're that holy and that perfect and, and, and absolutely under any circumstance makes no sense to speak a word against them. That they're the least deserving of any criticism and yet they would extend grace to people when they do that? Did the dot connect yet or did they spill it out? If they're willing to do that, as perfect and holy as they are, then when someone comes against you and speaks against you or doesn't like your political party or doesn't like your answer or solution to this problem or your opinion about this, that, or the other thing, we, we got to walk in that too. That's part of how we can walk in that unity. It's first and most important here among us, but that can extend even out to the way we treat people that don't yet know Jesus. Instead of seeing them as enemies to be conquered, we need to see them as slaves that need to be freed, people that need to be loved. Blind people that could, could be helped to see. Deaf that could be helped to hear. This great and glorious news that all sins can be forgiven if we're willing to repent. And friends, that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel levels the playing field from every direction. It teaches us first and foremost that each and every one of us are a sinner, which means you've got no business in here or out there looking at other people and considering yourself better than them. At all. And it levels the playing field because we're all going to come to the same solution. The only shot you got, I got, we got, is to come and to bow the knee before Christ, to realize our great need for him, and to trust him for salvation. To repent of sin, receive the gift of salvation, and be made new in Christ. That's it. We're all on the same little skinny path. It's our only chance. Man, the gospel's good news. I'm so thankful. I got a lot of sins, man. I've said a lot of dumb things. Man, the blasphemies that have come out of my mouth. But he's ready to forgive me. I'm praying over you that that fact will never, ever become common to you. And that every time you think about it, you'll be overcome again with the gratitude that propels us into love-motivated mission in this world. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Dear Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. First of all, we just thank you that we can. God, to know that you've invited rebels like us, wretches, to come and to inhabit your throne room, to come stand before you, to bring our praise, our uninformed praise. We try our best with what we can tell to offer you praise that is worthy. It falls so far short, and yet you still rejoice in it. You receive it. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you not only did you say we could bring our praise, but we can bring our needs, and that you'll care and you'll listen. And so we're doing that now, God. Father, we confess corporately uh, that we are often not quick to uh, cultivate unity in our homes, at our jobs, in the church. We are often quick to run to the sin of othering, to, uh, to, to try to bolster our own self-esteem uh, by, by looking down on others. God, please break us of that. Please continue to heal us of that. We know that that's, it, it's, it's, that's a wretched result of us not being fully content in who we are in you, that you have already determined we are valuable and, and, and that we have worth and that, and that we have dignity and it's because you made us and you made us in your image and it's because you sent Christ to die for us. This is what gives us these things, not whatever little self-esteem we can build up for ourselves by trying to hold others down. So we repent of that sin. Father, we repent for our lack of unity. We repent for uh, whatever ways we have ran from that. Whatever ways we've been content to not participate in this thing that you care about so much. Lord Jesus, thank you for that high priestly prayer. Thank you for praying for us. Lord, and please help us by the power of your spirit to answer your prayer, to walk in that kind of unity, not only for the beauty it creates among us, but for the beauty it reflects to the world. Lord, you said our unity was tied to whether or not the world was going to know and see that God the Father sent you So help us, please. Help us to to see this, to believe this, and to walk this out. And Lord, may we do that primarily for your glory, but also know that it is for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.